Okay, let's open to Acts chapter 14. And we'll just dip our toes into chapter 14 today. Just want to talk to you a little bit about the first three verses. Our Father, dear Lord God, we thank you now for this time that we have to read and to study your word. I pray, Lord God, that this would be increasing our knowledge, increasing our knowledge of your will, edifying us, teaching us and training us and raising us up to be doers of your word and not hearers only. Thank you for the wonderful grace of the gospel. Thank you for the power of your spirit. Thank you for everything, Lord. Now we listen to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here we are. They've been, Paul and Barnabas, chased out of Pisidian Antioch. And they come to a place called Iconium. In verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 14, it reads like this. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And the result of that we'll consider when we come together again next week. But for today, let's just take a short study and look at these first three verses. There is a pattern that has been repeated over and over in the book of Acts that gets very clearly repeated in just these three verses today. And that will continue through the rest of our study of the book of Acts and has continued through the life of the church for 20 centuries and continues to be played out in the life of God's children in the church today. And that is that you see four distinct things happening in these three verses. The first is that you see the gospel being spread. Right? They've just been chased out of Antioch and Pisidia. You, from a human perspective, might excuse it if they felt like they needed a little break when they came to the next town, right? But that's not what happened. When they came into Iconium, what did they do? Well, they did what we've seen the apostles in Jerusalem already in our study of Acts do time and time again. They just pop right back up and there they are preaching the word of God again. So I have to forewarn you that if hearing messages and sermons and exhortations and encouragements to be evangelizing and to be inviting people to the gospel and to being preachers of the word of God is a nuisance or a chore or a bore or a burden to you, you're in trouble. 
because that's pretty much what the rest of the book of Acts is. It's pretty much what life in the new covenant as a Christian is. It's preaching the gospel. And look, we have dry spells. We all do. I do. But when you hear a message like this or you receive an exhortation like this, you climb back on the horse, man. You get back up and you get going and you start realizing that you are here in this world as an ambassador. An ambassador is someone who has been dispatched by a king from another kingdom to execute and represent the will of his king wherever he goes. The apostles understood that and taught that that's what we are too. We are here to go after and pursue what God's will is in spreading the gospel and making disciples because the day is coming when he's going to return and there's judgment that's going to be faced. There's judgment for believers to account for how we've lived at Christ's judgment seat. There's a fearsome, awful judgment for all those who are lost and whose names are not written in the book of life where they will end up in hell. That is coming. And so here we are viewing again in the book of Acts this pattern. And the first part of it is, what do they do? They arrive. It says in verse 1, it happened in Iconium that they went together, what? Into the synagogue of the Jews. Here they go again. Like I said, the last place they went into the synagogue of the Jews, it worked out great because lots of people got saved and a church was born. But it also worked out with lots of hardship. Because they were persecuted, they were threatened, and they were expelled from the city. Having been undermined behind their backs, they were chased out. So they come into Iconium, and you would excuse, like I said, if their thought was, boy, that's not going the way I expected it to. We got all of these people to believe the gospel, and then we had to leave. Well, guess what? God is sovereign. Have you realized that yet? God's will is going to be executed through his servants. And it says here, they came in and they followed that pattern again, straight into the synagogue of the Jews. A little different this time. A little different because now what's happening is, as they go, and you'll see this played out as we go through more of the text of Acts. As they go from place to place now, and go into these synagogues, there's something following them. They have a reputation that's following them. You'll see in more than one instance that their opponents from places where they were show up and cause all kinds of trouble, right? It has certainly happened in Jerusalem when they made it there later in the book, but it happens in, uh, it happens in uh, a few other places. It comes into play a little bit here. It certainly happens in Thessalonica. But what happens? They come in and they go straight into the synagogue. And we're not told here, again, the text of the sermon that gets preached. But we're told what? They so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. That's the second part of the pattern. The first part of the pattern is, wherever they go, they spread the gospel. The second stop in the pattern is that... There are people who hear the gospel and believe. And that has continued to go on in the life of the church for the last 2,000 years. Maybe in a place like this, where we're in a ministry, we share in a ministry here today, we're the holders, occupants, and uh, practitioners of a ministry here called Fellowship Bible Church that 
under a couple of different names as continuously happened for 72 years. This is our little chunk of it right now. So maybe we don't see like the explosive growth that, you know, Paul would see everywhere where he went when it was new. But we still, like I've already pointed out to you today, we still see God redeeming people, adding people to his church. And that is part of the pattern. The gospel continues to be preached. Number two, people continue to be saved and God continues to add them to the church. And then what's the third thing? Verse two, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Right? So you have among the believers, you have like, like we saw in Antioch, you have this mixed audience in the synagogue of Jews and Gentiles who are believers in the God of Israel, right? And so the audiences that they're speaking to are Jewish and Gentile, and they go and they speak. Some of the Jews believe. It definitely seems to have more fruit among the Gentiles. But then there are Jews who don't believe, and there are obviously Gentiles who don't believe. And so the Jews who don't believe stir up the Gentiles who don't believe, you know, it's more of that just behind the back manipulation, trying to undermine what it is that Paul and Barnabas are doing. And you ask yourself, why doesn't God just intervene and just wipe out all of the opposition? Do you notice that he doesn't? And he never really has. And he still doesn't today. Because part of the way that God is glorified, listen, listen, listen. Part of the way that God is glorified is that His work doesn't just get done automatically. His work gets done through hardship and suffering. Just as our redemption came to us through the hardship and suffering of our Lord. As Jesus said, servants are not above their masters. Christ suffered and died for us. And so now as we obey Him and follow Him and serve Him, we preach His gospel... We rejoice when we see people added into God's church by His sovereign power when people believe the gospel. But we do it through all manner of hardship. And as I said on Thursday night, you know, at the Bible study, it's hard maybe in America for us to relate to some of the persecution that we read about in the Bible, though it still does go on in the world today. Maybe it doesn't happen quite that way here, right? I've never been arrested because I preached the gospel to somebody, right? I've never been beaten because I've preached the gospel to somebody. None of the brothers that I have walked with as a Christian for the past 30 plus years has been killed because they preached the gospel to somebody. But here's a kind of persecution that is a little more relatable, isn't it? People don't like what you say. People are opposed to the gospel. We face this all the time, don't we? Throughout the culture, at your workplace, at your schools, in your own families, sometimes in your own ministry. And it gets undermined, you know? And people get stirred up. And you find yourself facing opposition when you didn't even think you had any. Guess what? Guess what's going to happen to you if you properly serve the Lord. Maybe not to the same degree, but to the same thing that happened to these guys. You're going to make new friends who believe and love the Lord, and you're going to make new enemies 
because they are opposed to your service to the Lord. Did you know that? You pick up lots of new brothers and sisters along the way, and you pick up a lot of opponents along the way. The work of the gospel is done through hardship. That is why, I'm repeating myself, I know, and I will again, but that is why when Paul prayed for the church at Colossae, what he said when he prayed for them was that God would strengthen them with all might according to his glorious power, what? For all patience and long-suffering with joy. He didn't just pray, God, strengthen them. He said, God, strengthen them so that when they suffer, their joy will not be affected by it. That's, so there's the pattern. The gospel gets spread. There is fruit, but there is also opposition. But there's a fourth thing as well, isn't there? Verse 3 says, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. See, this time it wasn't so easy to chase them away. Even though there was opposition, the Lord, who is sovereign, saw fit to establish them there longer. And what did they do? They stood right there where they were and did not give up any ground. You think of it in terms of a battle, which spiritually is what it is. They had come to preach the gospel, and when they were undermined, when the spirits and the minds and the hearts of the people were stirred up against what it was they were preaching and teaching, they stayed there and continued to preach and teach. And that's what you and I must do. People will abandon, people will persecute, people will undermine, people will reject, people will mock. You hold your ground and you stand there and you keep proclaiming Christ. And that's what they did. And by the way, here's the fourth part of this. Guess who was with them the whole time? Guess who was with them the whole time? You see it in verse 3? Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. Look, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace. So... What, what is the word of His grace? That's the gospel, right? The gospel is a message of grace. What is grace? Grace is goodness that is given where it is not earned or deserved, right? The gospel is a message of that. The gospel is not a message to religious people or deserving people. The gospel is a message to wicked, sinful people that God has done something amazingly good for you. And when someone believes the gospel of Christ, through the grace of God, they are redeemed and they are saved. And God was right there with them doing what? Providing for them miraculous Holy Spirit power by which they were able, it says, to do signs and wonders by their hands. Right? Now, if you notice, it didn't say that in Antioch and Pisidia, did it? Antioch and Pisidia seemed to be more just like they went into the synagogue. They were asked by the synagogue rulers, what do you have to say? They said it. It was so fruitful that the, the Gentiles said, please, please, please come back. They came back a week later. The whole city was gathered. More and more people got saved. But you never really read anything about miracles and signs and wonders. 
God is sovereign. God works one way in this place. He works another way in another place. But the thing that is constant is the preaching of the gospel, the saving of souls, and the opposition that the Christians go through. And what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a precious promise made, listen, made to the Christian who carries out the command. In other words, when you're actively participating in, that's the strict context of Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Yes, it's, it's, it's axiomatic that he's always with us. But the specific context of that verse that I just quoted is when we are actively engaged in doing what we're supposed to do, preaching the gospel, making disciples, he's right there with us. And there you see it right in front of you. They're preaching, they're standing there boldly, and the Lord's right there with them, bearing witness. It's funny, they're witnessing for the Lord, and the Lord is witnessing for them. You catch that? They're being the Lord's witnesses, and the Lord Himself is bearing witness that what His servants are saying is true through these miracles. And all these miracles are being done. Hebrews chapter 2 Verses 1 through 4 says, We must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Did you hear that? I spoke to the men yesterday at the fellowship and talked about the danger of spiritually falling asleep. Hand in hand with falling asleep is drifting away. We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Look, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. That's Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. So God, for the last 2,000 years... Certainly then, when Hebrews was written, certainly then, when Acts 14 was happening, but continuing down through the ages, God has continued to be with His servants. Now you ask, well, what about all the miracles and stuff? Listen, God is sovereign, and God can do whatever He wants. It has not been my experience in the last 30 plus years as a Christian that God has accompanied my attempts to witness and preach the gospel by putting it in my hands to heal people and raise the dead and everything else. But you know what? God is sovereign. God does what He wants. Can I get an amen to that? He's sovereign and He does what He wishes. You know what? I may not have in my hands the same power that God gave to them, But I have in my hands, you see, is everyone looking? I have in my hands something that they did not. Do I not? I am able to point 
people to the certain and sure and irrevocable and never fading away word of God as recorded and preserved and passed down through the ages. I have the fullness of God's special revelation right here. And I open it and I read it and I share it. And how people respond to it is between them and the Lord. But I pray for people and I just continue to share his word. And that's what you and I are called to do together. When I'm reading scripture, when I'm pointing someone to scripture, when I'm explaining scripture to someone, I know God is right there with me. Because I'm not giving him my opinions. I'm not giving the person my thoughts and my attempts at philosophizing or humanizing or anything else. I am quoting to people what God wishes them to hear. You follow? And so God is there with me. So, let me just share a couple more verses with you and then we're done for today. I told you we were just going to dip our toes in it. What are the four points that I've shared with you? Let's review it and share a couple other verses. Number one, the gospel is always going to be spread. Number two, there will be fruitfulness, praise God. Number three, there will be opposition. And number four, God will be right there with you. Do you see that pattern? Do you see that pattern? The first one of those, this will go very fast. The gospel will always be preached. I point you back to Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 that tell us that Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen and a great persecution rose against the church that was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, listen, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Not even the breakup, the forcible breakup of a church and the imprisonment of completely innocent people stopped the word from being preached. In fact, God used it to increase the word being preached. The word must always be preached as it was at Iconium. That's number one. Number two was that people will get saved. I listened to a John MacArthur sermon many years ago that dealt with the closing of the book of Philippians. And he made a point that it's got to be 20 years ago I heard this. And it's stuck with me forever. And so every time I get a chance to repeat this, it gives me joy. But the very end of the book of Philippians, ready? When when Paul writes Philippians, where is he? He's in prison, right? Uh Uh-oh, he's in prison. There goes his ministry. No way. First of all, he wrote a nice chunk of the New Testament from prison. That's number one. And number two, he continued to preach when he was in prison. Did you know that? The book of Philippians closes with these two verses. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. You get it? He was in Caesar's prison. In Rome, what had he done? He had obviously witnessed to those 
who were part of Caesar's household, who had obviously gotten saved because he now included them in the salutations made to the believers in the Philippian church. Isn't that amazing? Listen, point number two, there's going to be fruitfulness. If we are faithful to preaching the gospel, all we, listen, it's not up to us who gets saved and who doesn't. We don't save anybody ourselves. But if we are faithful to the preaching of the gospel, Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So point number one, the gospel gets spread. Point number two, there will be fruitfulness. Even in Paul, there in prison, in Rome, there was fruitfulness among Caesar's own house. Amen. Number three, there will be opposition. What did we just read today at the Lord's Supper when Jesus was being taken to Pilate? Pilate was listening to the crowd, asking him to do what he had always done at the Passover, release one prisoner to them, whichever they wanted. Pilate saw it as an obvious, no-brainer, slam-dunk opportunity. We're going to release the king of the Jews. Because he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. Right? But what did it say? The chief priests stirred up the crowd. Stirred. Listen. The very ones who should have been saying, listen to this man. Here is our salvation. Everything that our ministry is about points to him. He's the Messiah. Instead, they stirred up the crowd to ask for a murderer. Barabbas. Now, we don't lament that because God used that to bring us our salvation, right? That's all part of God's amazing divine plan to redeem us. But you see, even Jesus himself, the opposition that he... Jesus, you can't find and show me one thing that Jesus ever did wrong. Completely sinless, the spotless Lamb of God. And yet, even in the height of his suffering, he was being undermined behind his back as the chief priests... The chief priests and their henchmen manipulated the crowd into asking that a murderer be released instead of the Messiah. There will always be opposition. There's fruitfulness, but there's opposition as well. Accept it, understand it, walk in it, pray through it. Do you follow me? Do you follow me, Christian? And then fourthly, as I've already explained to you by quoting from Hebrews, God is with you. If you will commit yourself to the spreading of His Word, to waiting on Him to provide the fruitfulness of it in His way and His time, understand and accept and pray through the fact that there is opposition, Guess what you will be comforted by always? That God himself is always with you. With these apostles in the form of putting miraculous power in their hands. Perhaps with us in some other way. Putting the Bible 
that just goes on and on and on in our hands or some other way he accompanies us. But you know that he is with us when you walk in his will. We've had a nice service here today. We celebrated at the table the gospel. If you're watching this online listening, if you're here listening to this, before any of this stuff I'm talking about now is even relevant to you, you need Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't explain it any more than it's already been explained throughout this service. When he died on the cross, he received in his body the justice and the wrath of God that was deserved by us so that it would be taken away from us, lifted from us, when we humble ourselves and believe and put our faith in Jesus who died for us and rose from the dead. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is God's power to salvation. That is the only way of salvation. There is no other way. There's nothing else to look for. There's no goodness. There's no cleaning yourself up. There's no religion. There's nothing except Jesus. Come to Jesus. Receive Jesus by believing his gospel and be saved. If you're here and you're in Christ, don't fall asleep. Wake up. Awake to righteousness. There are those around us all over the place who do not have the knowledge of God. Commit to the fact that Christ is still desirous that His word is spread. And get in on it. Pray. Ask Him to lead you. Invite people to church that they might come and hear. Invite people to listen online that they might hear the truth of Christ. Speak to them of your own testimony, how you got saved. Get equipped and learn to share the gospel from the Bible with other people. Trust God for His fruitfulness. Accept there will be opposition. Pray through it. And trust in the fact that He will always be with you. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had together here today. Thank you for this time in Your Word. Thank you for all of this, this great assembly that we've had here today. Thank you for every person who's here, every person who's listening and watching. May your work be done in and through each one. In Jesus' name, amen.